Take your Bible. Let's go to Psalms 90, the book of Psalms and the 90th chapter tonight. We'll look at several verses here in the course of the message, but the heart of the psalm is right in the middle of the psalm. And so I'd like to read starting with verse 9 and read down to verse 12. Psalm 90, starting with verse 9. The Bible says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. It's easier to spend money than it is to earn money. Uh, children know how to spend money. I remember as a kid, my parents would sometimes take me into a department store and they'd say, you go play in the toy aisle. We'll pick you up when we're ready to go. And I remember going to that toy aisle, and man, it was all good. I wanted all of it, you know. And I'd have two or three things in my hand when they showed up and they'd say, nope, nope, put it back. No, nope, we can't afford that. We don't have money for that. My parents used to say, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, duh, I figured that out. You know? now, now, you can't say that to kids today. That makes no sense. Didn't back then either. Today, you have to say to kids, money doesn't come from machines. Because if you tell your kids, we don't have any money, they'll point to a machine and say, well, go get some. <laughs> and they don't quite comprehend yet that you have to put money into the machine before you can take money out, right? Now, once you get a job and you start earning a wage, you begin to understand what it takes to earn the money that you spend. All of us are spending our life. You notice that there in verse 9, we spend our years as a tale that is told. We're spending time in church tonight. We're not earning any bonus minutes by being here. We're spending time in church. Someone might ask you tomorrow at work, how'd you spend last night? Someone might ask you, how'd you spend your weekend? How did you spend your vacation? We're spending our life as a tale that's told. Now, the psalmist is really good to us here in giving us three very important truths with respect to this stash of cash we call time or life. Notice, first of all, he reminds us of the truth concerning the source of life. If you live to be 70, and, and this chapter reveals to us that that's the average lifespan of a person, three score years and 10. A score is 20, so three of those plus 10 is 70 years. Now, we understand some people live longer than that. Some people live much shorter than that. But the average is 70. Now, if, if you live to be 70, you have 25,550 days to spend. If you live to be 70, you've got 613,200 hours to spend. If you live to be 70, you have 36,792,000 minutes to spend. Now, where does all that come from? Where do we get all that time? Well, the psalmist answers that in verse number one. He shows us the source of life, and he says, Thou, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. 
I think all of us understand tonight that life comes from God. God's the one who gives life. God's the one that takes life. Life is a gift from God. Someone has said life is our gift from God. What we do with it is our gift to Him. But our life has its source in God. And the psalmist then tells us that this God who gives us life is an eternal God. Look at verse 2. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is an eternal God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard for me humanly to understand the eternality of God. But the Bible declares that God has always existed and will always exist. He has no beginning. He has no ending. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come. Now, I'll be honest with you. Humanly, I I don't get that. I mean, I can understand. This pen is real. It's a real pen. Okay, There's, there's no figment of my imagination here. This is a real object. I can see it. I can touch it. It's a real pen. Now, I understand in my mind, humanly, that this exists, right? It's real. And I can understand how this could exist for a long time. It has the potential to exist for a long time. It probably won't. It's a cheap hotel pen, okay? Uh, It'll probably run out of ink and I'll throw it away. I may lose it. I may give it away. It's, It's just a pen, But I also understand in my mind that I could put this in a vault, I could put it in some kind of a safekeeping, and it could last for hundreds of years. We have things in museums that are thousands of years old. So I can understand in my finite brain how this exists now, it has the potential to exist for a long time. But how do you understand that this has always existed? But that's God. He's always existed. He is eternal. And aren't you glad that our life tonight is in the eternal hands of God? In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 47, the the writer there said, The eternal God is our refuge, and we are underneath His everlasting arms. I'm glad that God has our life in His arms. He's an eternal God. But notice, secondly, He's an excellent God. Look at verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. The psalmist, he gets a quick glimpse of God in verses 1 and 2. And then starting in verse 3, he looks at himself and he says, Wow, in comparison to God, I'm like grass. It grows up, and in the heat of the day, it withers, and it's gone. And he recognizes here the the frailty or the brevity of man, and he realizes that God is not only eternal, but God is an excellent God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Do you know God's never made a mistake? Someone has said when God makes his first mistake, he'll cease to be God. He never has made a mistake. He never will make a mistake. He's an excellent, perfect God. As for God, His way is perfect. And by the way, He has a perfect plan for every life in here. Perfect. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's hard to improve on perfect. 
Uh, I'm teaching an online course right now in, in Baptist history. We're in our second week, and, and, uh, and we're, we're giving some quizzes, you know, and tests along the way. And you know, if someone gets a perfect score on a test, pretty hard to do better than that. Now, let me tell you something. You're never going to do better than the will of God in your life. You might think, well, I know what I like, and I know what I want, and I know what makes me happy. But listen, if you settle for anything less than the perfect will of God, you're going to live a mediocre life. You're going to live a C-minus life at best. God has a perfect plan because God is an eternal God. He's an excellent God. But notice also, He's an enlightened God. Look at verse 8. Thou set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Do you know there's nothing about you that God doesn't know? There's a lot of things about you I don't know. There's things about me you don't know. But there's nothing in my life or yours that God doesn't know. Oh, God, thou knowest my foolishness. My secret sins are not hid from thee. Psalm 44, verse 20, If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, will not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Jesus said, there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Why? Because Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We think, oh, I, I, I can hide this. Nobody will ever find out. Had a student one time in my office, he was getting expelled, and I was kind of his last stop. And uh, I was kind of convinced that he wasn't the only one in on this prank. And I, 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 I asked him, I said, let me ask you one more time. Were you alone when you did this, or were others involved? He kind of leaned forward in his chair, and he said, Brother Gadge, he said, I have a rule about sin. I thought, okay, <laughs> I want to hear this. I said, what's your rule about sin? He said, I always sin by myself. That way no one can rat on me. I came out of my chair and across that desk, I said, son, you've never sinned by yourself. God's always been there. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? The psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the darkness shall be light about me. The darkness hideth not from thee. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. Did you know God even knows our thoughts? I don't know what you're thinking right now. You could be sitting here acting like you're listening, but your mind could be on work tomorrow or what you're going to eat after church or, you know. I grew up in a, in a church there in Watertown, Wisconsin, and we had a kid in our youth group. His name was Bob Gustafson. And Bob was one of two people I've known in my life who could sleep with their eyes open. And as teenagers, we had a little section down here to the left of the pulpit where we'd sit on Sunday nights. We had permission from our pastor and parents. If we wanted to sit there in the teen section, we could sit there. And I'd sit there on Sunday nights. And Bob, he, as soon as pastor would get up to preach, he'd kind of he'd lean back in his chair. He'd fold his arms like this. And he'd look right at pastor. 
And I'm sure pastor thought, that Bob, he listens better than anybody in this church. He never takes his eyes off me. I sat next to him. He was snoring. Now, you could be sitting here acting like you're listening, and I'd never know what you're thinking about. But you know what? God knows our thoughts. He knows our thoughts. In, 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 in Noah's day, God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great upon the earth, and the, the imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. David said to Solomon, his son, in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, Know thou the God of thy father, serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, for God searcheth all the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. In fact, in Ezekiel 11, in verse 5, God says, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Never had a thought, God didn't know. I've never had a dream, God didn't know. I've never had a desire, God didn't know. I've never had an attitude, God didn't know. He's an enlightened God. Now this God who has the source of our life in His hands, He's eternal, He's excellent, He's enlightened. But this same God, secondly, has given us a stipend of life. He's the source of life. He's given us a stipend of life. Now, when I went to college, I'm not sure I could have defined the word stipend. I maybe had met, I maybe have heard the word, but I don't know that I could have defined it. But when I went to college, I started playing football. And in high school, when you played a football game away, you'd get on a bus, you'd, you'd go 30 miles, maybe an hour away, maybe two hours away at the most, play the game, come back. But in college, some of those away games, we were gone for a couple of days, sometimes a whole week. So we'd have to pack up all our stuff, all our gear. We'd come out of the locker room. We'd get on a bus. And there was always somebody standing there at the foot of the stairs of the bus that would hand each of us an envelope. And in that envelope was some money. It's called a stipend or a per diem. See, in college, you pay room, board, and tuition. Your tuition covers the instructor's salaries, the curriculum, the learning part of it. The room and board covers what you eat in the cafeteria, what, where you sleep in the dormitory. Well, we had paid room and board, but now we weren't going to be there to sleep in the dorm. We weren't going to be there to eat meals in the cafeteria. So they gave us money to pay for those things while we were out on the road. It's called a per diem or a stipend. I was in an airport one day waiting for a plane. It was late and people were kind of congregating there at the gate and everybody's kind of, you know, anxious and and I looked around the crowd, just kind of entertaining myself, and, and uh, there was, a, there was a, a young guy standing about 20 yards away from me, and he was very tall. And uh, I didn't know how tall he was, found out later he was 6'10". But I kind of edged over toward him, little by little, trying to get close enough to him to see how tall he was, you know. <laughs> and, and I finally got close enough to him there, and he was on his phone, he was texting, and he kind of set his phone aside there for a minute in his hand, and I, I, I looked up at him, I said, uh, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, do you play basketball? And he kind of chuckled. He'd probably been asked that a million times, you know, and he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. I said, well, where do you play? He said, I play at the University of California in Berkeley. I said, well, that's great. I learned his name. His name was Scott. And I got to talking to Scott. I found out he was saved. He was a Christian. In fact, his dad was the pastor of a Bible church in the state of Nevada. So we're standing waiting for this plane. We're, we're enjoying some good fellowship, you know, as Christians and just talking. And we got talking about basketball a little bit. And I said, now, Scott, when you travel, they give you like a per diem or a, a stipend to pay for your stuff on the road, right? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, how much do they give you? 
I was just curious. He said, well, it depends on where we play. If we're playing in a big city like Denver, San Francisco, L.A., you know, we get more because it costs more in those places. But he said if we're in a smaller town, it's a little bit less. But he said it averages out to about $65 a meal. I said, $65 a meal? No wonder the state of California is bankrupt. (laughs) You know how much they paid us when I was playing football in college? I know this was back in the Old Testament, but when I was playing football in college, they gave us 75 cents a meal. 75 cents a meal. And you could go to McDonald's in those days. Now, there weren't very many. The closest one to our college was 40 miles away in Milwaukee. But many times when we would come back in town, we'd always stop there because at McDonald's, you could get what we'd call a value meal today, a Big Mac, fries, and a Coke. You could get that for under 75 cents. Did you know God has given us a stipend of life? Ecclesiastes 3 says, a time to be born and a time to die. When's your birthday? What day is your birthday? January 23rd. When's your birthday? November 8th. When's your birthday? September 11th. And when's your birthday? November 16th. See, they're getting ready now. They're ready with the answer. Everybody knows their birthday, right? We all have one. Did you know we all have a death day? Now, we don't know when it is. We have one. See, one thing we've got to understand, we don't die because we get old. We don't die because we get sick. We don't die because we meet an unfortunate accident. We die because it's appointed unto men once to die. Job said this, Is there not an appointed time to man upon the earth? Are not his days as the days of an hireling? The eye that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. Thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. We all have a stipend of life. See, our story has an ending Notice how he phrased that in verse 9, we spend our years as a tale that is told. I like to read biographies, I, I, my wife does as well, and, and uh, we'll read about people, you know, sometimes preachers or their wives or missionaries, or I like athletes' stories, you know, I like to read those things. But I've noticed that all those biographies have a last chapter. The story has an ending. When we started West Coast Baptist College, we... Uh, decided after that first year we needed a summer musical ensemble that could go out and travel and represent the college in, in the churches. You probably have some groups like that come by from various colleges and so on, and, and all colleges do that. We wanted to be like all colleges, I guess, and so we thought, let's, let's put together an ensemble. Well, we only had 43 students. I, I thought, do we have any talent? I mean, our talent pool was kind of shallow, you know. I thought, do we have kids that can sing, you know? And so they had some auditions, and, and some people tried out, and they, we chose six girls. And these girls were kind of multi-talented. They could all sing, and, and three of them played the piano, and two of them played a flute. I mean, they had some multiple talents. Well, they began to work with them and, and developed a repertoire of music, and, and then they scheduled them in a different church, every night for, for, for seven weeks uh, throughout that next summer. And uh, got that all set up, and then they said, now, Getch, you're going to travel with them. I said, I'm going to do what? Me? With six girls in a band for seven weeks? Whoa. 
Now, when you travel with somebody in a van for that long, you got to have some rules. In other words, you got to be on time. We got we got to get to the next church. We we can't be messing around. You got to be on the church on time. You got to be ready to go. We had rules like that. We had rules like you can't trash the van. You got to keep your, your spot clean. And if you broke a rule, we had we had a fine. We'd fine you a quarter, fifty cents, whatever. So we had these rules. Now all of these girls, all six of them, were extroverts. I'm an introvert. You've maybe noticed that. If you see me standing over here all by myself, please don't feel sorry for me. I'm having the time of my life. Okay. <laughs> I, I have a T-shirt at home that says my imaginary friend doesn't like you either. But anyway, uh, I'm an introvert by nature. You might not recognize that when I'm preaching, but, but really, quite frankly, I don't need to talk to be happy. I can live in silence and, and, and not have a problem at all. I, I'm an introvert, class A introvert by nature. These girls were all extroverts. They were nonstop talk. From the time I picked them up in the morning to the time I dropped them off at night, they were constant conversation. Well, I'm driving, I'm learning a lot, you know, I mean, we're going down the road. Well, one day we had an early morning departure, about 5 a.m., and the girls all got there, we got the van packed up, we're ready to go, we get in the van, we have a word of prayer, we pull out of the parking lot, and one of the girls says, I have a new rule we need to vote on. All right, what is it? She said, well, I've noticed that sometimes in these early morning trips, we're all grouchy. We start complaining about how early it is and, and how we didn't get enough sleep and we didn't get any breakfast and, and, and we, you know, we can start complaining and be negative. And she said, that ought not to, we ought not do that. She said, we, we have the privilege of traveling and seeing the country and, and singing in these churches and, and we ought to be positive. And, and she said, so I make a rule that if somebody in the van is talking and someone else in the van doesn't like what they're saying, they can say the end. And they have to stop talking or pay a dollar. I like this rule. <laughs> I like this rule a lot. I wish this was a rule for all of society, okay? Well, we talked about it for a while, you know, and I thought, well, this is a good rule. I mean, I can be negative. I can be complaining. I, I can be griping about something. And, and these girls shouldn't have to put up with that. I mean, if I'm being negative with my speech, they should be able to stop me. That's just not a good Christian. And so I thought, this is a good rule. So we talked about it like that. We voted. We voted 7-0 to pass this rule. So now, if somebody in the van was talking, somebody else didn't like it, they could just say, the end. They had to stop or pay a dollar. So we go down, down, down the road. We probably traveled about two hours or whatever. All of a sudden, one of the girls, her name was Cassie. Now, Cassie is a sweet girl, very spiritual girl, very godly girl. She's on the mission field today with her husband, has been since then. And just a, just a great girl. Her daughter's in the college now. She's just like her. And, and uh, Cassie started talking, started telling a story. And, and Cassie was, well... Um, have you ever had somebody tell you a joke and it would have been funny if they hadn't told it? <laughs> that was Cassie. She, she loved to talk, but her speech was dull. It was boring. It had no color. It had no vibrancy to it. And she's droning on and on about something in the back there. And I'm looking in the mirror, all the girls kind of rolling their eyes like, here goes Cassie again. And, and then I caught the eye of the girl that made the rule. And she had kind of a twinkle in her eye. And I thought, oh, no. And she let Cassie go for a little bit. All of a sudden, she said, the end. 
and Cassie had to quit talking. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. And from that point on that summer, every time Cassie would open her mouth, she'd say, I remember the time, the end. We, we'd stop her immediately. She'd slump down her seat, start crying. It was great. It was great. You know, I see all six of those girls quite often. In fact, uh, the one who made the rules, my daughter-in-law. But anyway, <laughs> those girls are great, and they're, they're all in ministry today. And whenever we're together, we always bring that story up. And we laugh about it. Even Cassie laughs a little bit about it now. But you know what, friends? One of these days, we're going to be going through our life, and God's going to say, the end. But, 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 but God, I, I'm not saved yet. The end. But, 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 but God, I, I'm a little behind in my Bible reading. The end. But, but God, I, I was going to witness to my neighbors. The end. Your story has an ending. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. I know it's not what a day may bring forth. Not only does your story have an ending, your strength has an expiration. Do you notice it in verse 10? If your days happen to be four score years, 80 years, if you live to be 80, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away? The young people here don't understand this like the older folks, but when you, as you get older, you can't do what you used to do. Your strength has an expiration. Whoever you think is the best athlete in the world right now, I, I don't know who I would choose if I were deciding, probably depend on the sport. But you take a, I don't know, a LeBron James, or you, you take a Tom Brady, these guys that have played for, it seems like, a century, and they're still going at it, you know, and you think these guys are obviously in wonderful condition, and boy, they've, they've taken care of their bodies. You know what? Every one of those guys on a court tonight or on a field tonight know they're but one injury away from it all being over. Because the Bible says every man at his best state is altogether vanity. You get yourself in the best possible condition, your heart, your lungs, your muscles, everything. You get it in the best possible condition. God says you're just a step away. David said there's but a step between me and death. Our strength is an expiration. Our flesh is like grass, like the flower of grass that withereth because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people's grass. God is the source of our life. He's given us a stipend of life. And now in verse 12, He reminds us about how to spend our life. In verse 12, He says, So, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And he gives us some good advice here. He says, make your days count early. Look at verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let me talk to you young people for a minute. Don't wait until you get to junior high to serve the Lord. Don't wait till you get to high school to start reading your Bible. Don't, don't wait till you get to college to get serious about God. Don't wait and say, well, when I get married or when I get my job. No, no, no. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. 
There are a lot of people, old and crusty like me, who could care less about being in church. They could care less about the Bible or about revival. They could care less. You know why? Because they didn't give their life to God when they were young. Now the evil days have come. The years have gotten on, and they have no pleasure in the things of God. Bad habits are hard to break. You notice that? We get a bad habit, it's hard to break. But you know what? Good habits are hard to break. Good habits are hard to break. I started going to church nine months before I was born. And that's a pretty good habit. I've been going to church just about every day of my life. And it's, it's tough to break. Every once in a while, Pastor Chapel, he'll move our midweek service from Wednesday night to Tuesday night. We do it three or four times a year. We do it Thanksgiving week, for instance. He'll move it up to Tuesday night because our college kids are going home and, and families like to travel a bit. So, so we'll move that midweek to Tuesday night. And it's kind of cool. You know, it's an off night. It's different. We get an email from the church. Hey, don't forget church night seven. Can have some good music and preaching. You know, you get excited about it. You go to church. It's wonderful. Then Wednesday night comes. Seven o'clock. You're thinking, what am I supposed to do now? Can't go to Walmart. Somebody might see me. I'm supposed to be in church. You know? My wife and I, we go in our house, we turn off all the lights, lock the door, and pray that the Lord doesn't come back till 8.15 because we're supposed to be in church. You know? It's just weird. It's weird. Why? Because it's a good habit that's hard to break. Hey, boys and girls, listen. If you'll start reading your Bible now, you won't have any trouble reading it when you're 20. You know what, if you, if you get a little allowance or a little money comes your way and you give some of that back to the Lord in an offering, you know what, you won't have any trouble when pastors start talking about tithing when you get a job. You start witnessing your friends, give them a tract, invite them to church, you know what, you won't have a problem when pastors say, hey, let's go soul winning this Saturday. You'll be right on board. Why? Because good habits are hard to break. Make your days count early. And those of us who are a little older, make your day count early. I realize we're not all up with the chickens. You know, we're not all, you know, out of bed. Hey, what a great day. Some of you need five, five-hour energies just to get out of bed. You know, it's, it's tough. The mornings are tough. But you know what? Make your day count early. Maybe reading the Bible isn't the best thing for you first thing in the morning. Maybe some of you are better off reading it before you go to bed or sometime, maybe your lunch break. But, but, but start the day with the Lord. Uh, think about Him first thing in the morning. Maybe let one of these songs you sang at church run through your mind. Maybe a verse of scripture that you memorized. Get it going in your head. Uh, think about maybe a prayer request. Somebody that's going to the hospital or needs surgery. And, and pray for that as soon as you get out of bed in the morning. You know what? When you get your day started early with God, the whole day will go a lot better. Amen. Make your days count early. Then he says, make your days count in evil. The next verse, verse 15, he says, Make us glad according to the days where thou hast afflicted us and the days wherein we have seen evil. Now, I don't think I have to prove to you tonight that these are some wicked days. These are some evil days. But you know what? Just because they're evil doesn't give us a pass. A lot of people, oh, it's getting so bad. I think we better kind of just close the door and wait for the rapture, you know. No, 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 no. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Next verse. But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Just because the world is getting more anti-God and wicked doesn't mean we can crawl in a corner and wait for the rapture. No, we're to let our light so shine that men may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. All of the darkness in this world cannot put out one light. 
Now, one light can dispel a lot of darkness. You turn all lights out in here and light a match, you'll be able to see, right? Because one light can dispel a lot of darkness. But all the darkness out there cannot put out one light. You may be the only Christian in your family. Let your light shine. It'll make a difference. You might be the only Christian at work. Let your light shine. You might be the only kid in the neighborhood or on your sports team that's a Christian. You let your light shine. Make your days count in evil. And then he says, make your days count for eternity. Look at verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Someone has said, if you want your life to count, live it for something that outlasts it. What's going to outlast my life? What's going to last longer than me? Well, it's not this. Because when I leave, this is staying here. You, you can have it <laughs> if I keel over. By the way, if I live to be 70, i got less than 750 days left out of 25,550. So I'm getting close. So <laughs> if I keel over tonight, you can have this because I, I don't need it where I'm going. This isn't what life's about. What's going to outlast my life? Fame? I, I couldn't tell you who won the World Series four years ago. And if it was the Astros, they didn't win it anyway. So I, I mean, but, you know, at the time, that stuff seems really important, doesn't it? It's like we're consumed. And, and I am. I love that kind of stuff. But, you know, four or five years later, you don't remember it. So, so fame isn't it. There's only one thing that's going to outlast our life. And that's the souls of men. The only thing we can take with us out of this world are the souls of men. So what on our to-do list has to do with that? You're probably like me. I get a lot of stuff on my to-do list. And about half of it, I don't put there. Somebody else does. But you know, sometimes i got to look at that and think, now what does this have to do with eternity? It's not that it's bad stuff. It's not like it's not important. But, you know, sometimes we got to think about our priorities here. we got to put some eternal priorities into our life. Back in 2009, I was asked to preach a, um, a men's retreat. I shouldn't say 2009. I believe it was 2013 or so. I was asked to preach a men's retreat out at Ironwood, Camp Ironwood. It's about two hours from our campus out in the desert. And this men's retreat was supposed to start at 5 o'clock on a Thursday night and go till noon on Saturday. Well, normally, a meeting that close to campus, I would drive back and forth. I'd teach in the morning, drive out there, preach, come back that night, sleep in my own bed, teach again the next morning, drive back out. I do a lot of meetings like that through the course of the school year. But the director of the camp had asked if I would do some sessions on Friday morning for the men, some workshops, if you please, and I'd agreed to do that. So I, I got to think about, well, there's no sense in me driving all the way home and then being right back out there first thing in the morning. I might as well stay out there. They've got guest accommodations. I just stay at the camp for those two nights. So Thursday afternoon, got in my car about 3 o'clock, drove out to the camp, got there right at 5. The men were all going into the dining room there to, to eat. There were about 200 men there, and they're going in to eat. And I went in with them, just jumped out of my car and went right in with them, and we had a great meal, great fellowship. Boy, the time went fast. All of a sudden, Sam, the director of the camp, he stood up and he said, all right, men, 
Five minutes, we're going to start the service down at the meeting hall. And he said, we got a great service plan, some skits, some music, and we got two preachers tonight, but the guest is going to preach first. So go to your cabin, get your Bible, and meet us down there. We'll start in five minutes. Whoa, I thought, it's time to start already. Now, I knew I was preaching. I didn't know I was first, but I knew I was preaching. And so I, I went out to my car. I grabbed my Bible out of my backpack, and I had my sermon in there already, and I went down to the meeting hall, and, man, we had a great time. It's a great service. You know how it is at camp. You don't care about time, and it goes longer than normal church services. And we got done about 10, 15. And I'm walking out of that, that, that hall, and, and the director of the camp, he says, Brother Getch, have you been to your cabin yet? I said, no, but I'm okay. I'll find it. I'd been there before. They have a, they have a cement block building that has four um, rooms in it, and then it has a little kitchenette uh, for everybody to use, and, and that's where they put the speakers. And they have their, your name on the door, you know, typed on there, so you know which room is yours. And, and, and I'd been there before. I knew the drill, so I said, no, nah, but I'm good. He said, I'll walk with you. I said, no, you don't have to worry about me. I mean, he's got all these men to care for. I said, no, you don't have to about me. He said, no, no, I'll walk with you. Well, I felt bad. You know, he's got other things to do besides take care of me. But we're walking up this hill. It's pitch black. It's 10, you know, 1030 at night. It's completely dark. We're walking up this hill. But we're going the wrong way. We're going the wrong way. And, I, you know, he's talking about the great retreat, how many men came, the decisions that night. And he's just going on and on. And as an introvert, I'm thinking, do I tell him? You know, I mean, he's the director of the camp. He should know where I'm staying, you know, and we're going the wrong way. And he just keeps talking. And finally, we get about halfway up that hill, and he stops. He says, well, here we are. And I looked up, and here was a cabin I'd never seen before. He said, Brother Gash, this is all yours. You can bring your, your uh, uh, car down here and unload here. Just keep your car right here. He said, uh, inside, there's a bed. There's a, there's a bathroom. There's a shower. There's a, there's a phone in there. All of our phone numbers, all the staff phone numbers are listed there. If you need anything, just give us a call. Here's a key. Wow. My own cabin. Now, this is awesome. I don't have to go to the other place and listen to everybody snore all night. This is awesome. Well, man, I was kind of stunned, and I, I, I went up and got my car, brought it down there, and got my stuff out, and came in that cabin, and kind of threw it in there, and it was, I was tired. It was about 1045 now. I was tired. I went to bed. Next morning, I got up, and <clears throat> I was going to do four sessions that next morning, starting at 8, and I, I had them all prepared, but I, you know, when you're doing that many in a row, you kind of want to go over the notes, and so I decided not to go to breakfast. I just focus on those lessons, and so I kind of went through my morning routine with myself, my devotions, things like that. And then I got those lessons out at the desk there, just kind of started studying a little bit. Eight o'clock, I went down to the appointed place and did the first session, nine o'clock, second session, 10 o'clock, third session, 11 o'clock, fourth session. Well, by the time I was done with that, I was ready for lunch. So I'm walking up that same hill <clears throat> to the, my cabin to put my Bible away, go to lunch when I hear a voice behind me. Brother Gatch, Brother Gatch. So I kind of slowed a little bit. man caught up. He said, Brother Gatch, Brother Gatch. He said, I have kind of an unusual request. Now, as soon as he said that, I tried not to show it, but I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to miss lunch. I, I've been here before, you know. And I said, what is it? He said, uh, can I go in your cabin? Oh, that was a little unusual. I was trying to remember if I made the bed. <laughs> I said, sir, tears began welling up in his eyes. He said, Brother Gadge, did you notice the picture and the plaque in your room? I said, no, sir, I, I'm afraid I didn't. I got in kind of late last night. I didn't really look around this morning. Picture? 
Black. Now tears are flowing down his face. He said, Brother Gedge, your, your cabin is named after my son. He was killed four years ago today. I said, what? Your son? How old was he? Fifteen. I said, you said he was killed. How? He said, Brother Gatch, it was a Wednesday night. And the youth pastor had asked the teens to sing that night in church. And he asked if they could come 30 minutes early to practice. He said, Jacob's 15. He didn't have his license. And, but a good friend, a good family in the church, a friend of his is 16, and he, he had his license, and he offered to pick Jacob up so we wouldn't have to go in early. We had no problem with that. The boys had driven to church early that night, and a drunk driver hit them on the way to church. Jacob didn't make it. He said, Brother Gadge, at the funeral, some of our families, some of our church friends, they gave us cards and of condolence. And when we got home, many of them placed money in the card. He said, we didn't need it. We had life insurance policy on our kids, and it paid for all the funeral expenses. He said, here we were with, these, with, the, with this money. And we began to pray about that, my wife and I. What are we going to do with this? We wanted to do something to remember Jacob. He said, we thought of the camp. He said, Jacob loved it out here. He was called to preach out here. He said he would have been a freshman at West Coast this year. He was so looking forward to learning how to preach. He said, we thought of the camp, and we, we called, and we came out, we gave the money to the camp. Unbeknownst to us, they had been praying that they could build a, a separate cabin for the keynote speakers. And he said, because it was four years ago today, and Jacob's picture's in there, I'd, I'd kind of like to go in for a minute. Wow. We're at the door now, and I have the key. I'm opening it, pushing it open, and I put my Bible inside on the chair. And I said, sir, you go on in. Just spend as much time as you want. I'll, I'll wait out here. He went in. I sat on the porch of that cabin for the next, seemed like longer, but probably about 10 minutes. Pretty soon he came out wiping tears. He thanked me. And I said, sir, anytime, anytime this weekend while I'm here, you just knock, I'll vacate. You just help yourself tonight, tomorrow, anytime. He went on to lunch. Now I wanted to get in that cabin. Walked in, and there it was, right across from where I'd laid down the night before. If I'd left a light on, I would have seen it, a picture and a plaque. I walked over to that plaque, and here's what it read. In loving memory of Jacob Ryan Castro, 1990 to 2005. Jacob was a camper and is now in heaven. To God be the glory. This plaque is here to remind each reader that every camper has a soul and that every soul will spend eternity somewhere. Nothing in this world is as important as the people you meet. One soul is worth more than all the world's treasure. For what is man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? One is worth more than all. And dear friend, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, can I tell you something? Your soul is worth more than the whole world to God. And Christian, if that's true, and it is, 
then shouldn't we be doing something to reach one more? By all means, save some. If their soul is worth more than everything, then we got to look at our to-do list and prioritize a little bit to make sure something remains for eternity from our life. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. We just spent an hour and 15 minutes in church. I'm glad I did. I think it's time well spent. How will we spend the rest of the evening? How will we spend tomorrow? We're spending our life. May we spend it well.